And I've got a heading for my sermon, and the heading is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. And I've got a text, and it's John chapter 1, verse 16. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. On the 8th of April, 1748, the sailing ship Greyhound, having been battered for several weeks by the winds and waves of an Atlantic storm, barely made it into the sanctuary of Loch Swilly on the north coast of Ireland. <clears throat> How she made landfall was a mystery to all the crew. <clears throat> the storm being such that at any moment they, they'd expected the ship to be blown to pieces while they experienced a watery grave. But make it, she did. Joining in the thanksgiving of the, that day, the 8th of April, 1748, which was Good Friday, was John Newton. He had more reason than any for thanksgiving, for it was in the midst of that storm, a storm which had awakened his cold and hard conscience that he found himself calling on God for mercy and laying hold of Christ for salvation. As he was to testify for the rest of his life, if there was anyone undeserving of that salvation, then he was. For he was a violent drunkard and blasphemer who hated and scorned the Christian faith and gospel. And had come to sink down so low physically, morally and spiritually that the very slaves in the slave ship on which he was working wouldn't have swapped places with him. Well, as you know, it was to Christ that he was driven in the middle of the storm to find him. And his salvation brought him the peace and joy that only Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, could give. And of course, it was this gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ which gave birth to this hymn, Amazing Grace. Newton died in 1807 and was buried in the graveyard of Mary Woolnoth Church in the heart of the city of London. On his tombstone, the epitaph was this, his own words, and they're a testimony to the grace of God. John Newton, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured, to destroy. Now, the interesting thing is, when I read his, his autobiography, when I read his biography, um, that it wasn't until 25 years after his conversion that he wrote this hymn. I would have thought he would have written it immediately on, on his conversion. And he wrote it in the parish of Olney, where he was the, the vicar. Then he wrote the words of the... It's there that he wrote the words of the Amazing Grace. And not as I thought just a short time after his conversion. It made me think, 25 years on, he could not but speak of his amazing conversion and all that it meant to be a Christian. And he said, it's just simply amazing. The fact is that it was amazing grace. And the hymn writers Share the same wonder, don't they? And if you'd like to spend some time this week looking at hymns with amazing in, or grace in, there's so many of them out there. 
This one is the obvious one, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound and so on. Remember Charles Wesley's hymn? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. Or I was as amazed as the Burundian Baptist pastor Emmanuel Sibomana was so amazed. Oh, how the grace of God amazes me. It loosed me from my bonds and set me free. What about Augustus, top lady? Are you as amazed as, she, as he was? He speaks of abounding grace. Or what about Doddridge? Grace, tis a charming sound, harmonious to the ear, and so on. Or what about John Kent? And this is my favorite one. Sovereign grace, or sin abounding. What about Isaac Watts? Love so amazing, so divine. Demands, demands my soul, my life, my all. But let me ask you this. This is a test of where we are as Christian believers. How do you respond to the message of grace? Are you still amazed by it? Or have we simply grown accustomed to it? Let me mention a couple of things in general about grace. Grace explains what the Bible is all about. Have you, have you, have you ever been amazed at how many people there are, some very bright people, some very intelligent people, they can't grasp what the Bible is all about? You met them, I'm sure I'm new. They say, oh, this Bible, I've tried it. I've tried to read it. They probably haven't. <laughs> and I just can't make head or tail concerning what it's about. And such people never will. That is until they come to see and grasp that what the Bible is all about from Genesis to Revelation is grace. And if you do not understand the New Testament meaning of the word grace, we shall never understand the New Testament Grace is the, the substance and the very heart of its message. It's easily demonstrated, isn't it? I think a good sub subtitle to the Bible would be Holy Bible, the story of grace. And let me tell you, God the Father is a God of grace. Isn't it 1 Peter 5 verse 10? And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. God the Father is a God of grace. The Lord Jesus Christ brings grace to the world. Acts 15 verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they. So, God the Father is the God of grace. The Lord Jesus Christ brings grace to the world. And then the Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. Hebrews 10, 29. How much more severely do you think a man desires to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, 
and who has insulted the spirit of grace. So, salvation is a product of grace. Titus 2.11, 2 verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Justification is by grace. Romans 3.24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And redemption is according to grace. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So if this is who God is, if this, if this is a God of grace, then what is grace? What do we mean by the word grace? As you know, the New Testament word is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. But grace has its roots in two Old Testament words, two Hebrew words. The first word is hesed. When I was ill recently, I was in hospital, somebody wrote to me and said, may the hesed of God be with you. <laughs> That's an unusual <laughs> expression, isn't it? And, uh, and I thought, I, I remember something about that, what it is. And um, hesed means steadfast love. It comes from Lamentations 3.22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because of his, his compassions fail not. That is, his steadfast love never ceases. And this steadfast love is God's absolute faithfulness to his believing people. Later on, the, the writer to Lamentations goes on to say, talk about God and his steadfast love, and he says this, great is thy faithfulness. We sing it so often, don't we? Actually, it's from Lamentations. But the thing about this steadfast love, this, this, this faithfulness, faithfulness, is that it's towards sinners such as us, and it's not deserved. And in fact, it's not just that we don't deserve this steadfast love, it's that we deserve the very opposite. And it's for this reason that the Old Testament word hesed is often translated mercy. And one writer put it like this, mercy is the child of grace. That's the first Old Testament word. The second Old Testament word is Hanan, H-A-N-A-N. Hesed, the first one, this is Hanan, which means favour. And it means this, it's the favour that a superior shows to an inferior. Remember Genesis 6 verse 8? Noah found favour in the eyes of God. Of course, that doesn't mean that Noah, that Noah did anything to please God. But what it means is that, that God stooped down to Noah. And though Noah didn't deserve it, God poured out his lavish goodness and kindness. Now, that's the root of the idea behind grace. It's the loving favour of God to the undeserving. And the point is this, from the beginning of the Bible, we see this is how God acts. Right from the very beginning, through the revelation, we, we see that God acts in this way, with such grace. 
You turn to Genesis 3. Remember the account of how sin entered the world? What do you read about immediately? You read about this very grace. Remember it? Remember um, Adam had sinned? He disobeyed God's law. And knowing what he'd done, he, he goes into hiding. My children, when they did something naughty, they would go into hiding. I knew where they were. And I'd say, where are you? <laughs> I knew where they were. And, and God was saying this, where are you? Um, God called out to the man, where are you? Do you see? Man hiding from God, but God is calling to man. That's grace. That's wonderful. We're trying to hide and God is calling to man. Man obviously had to be punished, but, but the man was to be restored. You see, right at the very beginning, God was calling to man with purposes of grace. And praise God, he's still calling today. He's calling you now. Have you heard the voice of Jesus? Sweetly calling to your heart. He's calling today. This is a day of grace. He's still calling to men and women. Today with why? With what? Purposes of grace. What should I say? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Second point I want to make is grace explains why the Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth. If God is the God of grace, how then has he revealed himself? As such, the answer to this is that he's done this supremely so in and through the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I read John chapter 1, verse 14. In the prologue to John's Gospel, we have the apostles speaking about the glory of God and the glory that's revealed in the Son, the Word made flesh. And speaking of the glory of God, John says, where in God the Son was this reflected glory of God the Father to be seen? Fully and completely. See, he says, John chapter 1 verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. What? Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And then he goes on to say, um, he talks about the law after that in verse 17, doesn't he? And the law was given through Moses. Now it's important to remember this. We mustn't make the mistake of thinking that the Old Testament is about law, what the New Testament is all about grace. That's a great mistake. And in the law of God that was given through Moses, there was grace. Of course there was, wasn't there? There was because God gave us his law to bring us to the knowledge of the reality of sin in our lives. Schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, isn't it? So that we might come to seek his pardon and life. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, God's grace has come to be given its fullest expression in Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking, 
one of the disciples, if you ask the disciples or the apostles what Jesus was really like and to describe him, what, what would they have said? Would they have said that he was wise? That he was good and kind? That he was courageous? That he was generous? Yes, of course. They say that. Yes, yes, yes. Many times, yes. But above and beyond everything else, the answer would have been this. In all that he did and all that he said, he was full of grace. It was grace, grace, grace. And in fact, it was grace in the end that took him to the cross. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9? For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So where is the glory of the living God to be seen supremely? So fully, so completely? The answer is this, and it's in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the story of the woman? taken in adultery why was Jesus able to say neither do I condemn you go and sin no more it was because on the cross he himself bore that very condemnation now that's grace that's glory so this grace is seen supremely in Jesus Christ and it comes to us through Jesus, And my text was, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received grace upon grace. And it's that grace which is the grace of sins forgiven. Do you know that this morning? It's a grace. The grace of sins forgiven, the grace of eternal life. Do you know that the Lord is going to take you through this life into the next? To spend eternity in heaven. The grace of adoption into God's family. Are you lonely? On your own? If you're a Christian, you're not. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. The grace of the hope of a heavenly home. Isn't that wonderful? Think of that. Don't you want that? And we receive this as we receive him. And we receive him, him who himself is grace. Grace upon grace. The grace of sins forgiven, eternal life, adoption into God's family and the hope. The grace of the hope of a heavenly home. And we receive these and many more as we receive him who is himself or grace. And then grace explains what the message of the gospel consists of. The message is grace. Listen to Paul's words. He's speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church. You know, he, he was on his way to Jerusalem and he, he called them together. And these are the last words that he says to those Ephesian elders. But none of these things move me. 
nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And Paul is the obvious example of, of someone who preached this gospel of grace in two senses. In the first instance, it was... <coughs> it was personal. That's why I said that story to the children. It's personalised grace. It's got to be personalised grace. It's not a nebula thing up in the air there. It's personalised grace. The Lord is my shepherd, see? And Paul exemplified that, didn't he? Remember he said in 1 Corinthians 59, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So I'm talking about personalised grace. Have you got it? Have you got this personalised grace? Or is it some distance away? Or is it something that, yeah, sounds good, but has it become personal to you? And then the second thing about Paul um, exhibiting this grace is this. He verbalised this grace. In other words, he spoke about it. And there's so many verses we give you. Ephesians 2.8 for by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, do you know this hymn? Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. Not by a human endeavour, but through the blood of the Lamb. So this grace to Paul and to us must be personalised and it must be verbalised, possible, aren't they? But it must be, it must be a personal thing, and you must speak it. God, uh, forgive me for missing opportunities that I've been given. It grieves me so much, without being bombastic, you know, talking to people about Jesus Christ and the grace of God. Some people put you off, don't they? The way they do it. No, no, I'm not talking about that. But, but. Surely, when this grace has become personalised, it will be verbalised. You will want to speak it. And this week now, in this situation, God give you the grace to meet somebody that you can point away from the situation, recognising the difficulty that we're in, but point them away to the Saviour, isn't it? God give you the grace this week to meet one person to whom you can verbalise this grace. And then, grace explains how the Christian is meant, the Christian life is meant to be lived. Remember, Paul begins his every letter and ends his every letter like this. <laughs> you can check it yourself when you go home. It's a good exercise for you now when you go home. Check the beginning and the end of the letters, right, that Paul uh, writes. Romans 1 verse 7, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 1 Corinthians 1 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 2, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
2 Corinthians 13 verse 14, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Galatians 1 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6 verse 18, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Revelation 1 verse 4, grace to you and the peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And Revelation 22 verse 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Grace to you. Grace be with you. You know, if you're a Christian, we're living in this sphere of grace. Do you realize that? <laughs> Before we became a Christian, we were living in the sphere of the world. Ephesians, remember, following the course of this world, bouncing about. We were in that sphere, but now... Because we are Christians, we're living in the sphere of grace. And um, William still says, we're living in the world of grace. Isn't that wonderful? See, if we're living in the world of grace, our attitude should be completely different to those of the world. In this situation that we find ourselves, our attitude should be different, as Luther says. We'd be sensible. But, but our thoughts go beyond this situation, don't they? <laughs> so the Christian is living in the world of grace. And when we think of dear people who are going through hard times, Times of trouble, tribulation, what's the answer to the issues and problems of people facing the problems facing dear people? The answer is grace. Do you see what it is? And I've got a, I started preparing a series of sermons and grace is the first one. And there's grace supporting, grace enlivening. Grace transforming. Grace persevering. Grace comforting. Grace strengthening. How did Paul himself testify to this? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you believe that now? Surely we do, don't we? My grace is sufficient for you. Now in Matthew the Lord says, sufficient under the day is the evil thereof, you know? And there's a difference between worry, and we are worried, aren't we? But in the context of Matthew, he's talking about um, full of worry, now, we as Christians, we are worried, obviously, aren't we? We're worried for our children, for our for our sin. We are worried. But that, that is not the same as being full of worry. Because we become, we become hopeless then. And we deny the grace of God. My grace is sufficient for you all. I finished with defining grace. I, I, Showing the number of writers 
if you, if you, if you have a chance, try and find out how different writers have, have, um, have spelled meaning of grace out. This is my, my favourite, one by James Downey. It's a famous definition, so people tell me I hadn't heard it until I, I found it myself. Grace is the love of God, spontaneous, beautiful, unearned at work in Christ for the salvation of sinners. Isn't that glorious? Grace is the love of God, spontaneous. Nothing to do with us. We don't go into it. <laughs> Grace is the love of God, spontaneous, and it's beautiful. What's the most beautiful thing on earth? Grace. Unearned at work in Christ for us. Jonathan Edwards, this is glorious. Grace is but glory begun. And glory is but grace perfected. Isn't that glorious? I was bouncing up when I read that. <laughs> Jim Packer. To the New Testament writers, grace is a wonder. Their sense of man's corruption and demerit before God under the reality and justice of his worth of his wrath against sin is so strong that they find it simply staggering that there should be such a thing as grace at all. Let alone grace that was so costly to God as the grace of Calvary. And the final one is Martin Lloyd-Jones. Salvation is not in any sense God's response to anything in us. Now do you realise that? Glorious, isn't it? It's not as if God looked at David and said, ah, oh, summoning in him. He deserves saving. See? It's humbling, isn't it? It's, it's grace. It's humbling, isn't it? That's what it should do. Humble us. Salvation, salvation is not in any sense God's response to anything in us. It is not something that we in any sense deserve or merit. The whole essence of the teaching at this point and everywhere in, the, in all the Old Testament is that we have no sort of kind of right whatsoever to salvation. That the whole glory of salvation is that though we deserve nothing but punishment and hell and banishment out of the sight of God to all eternity, yet God of his own love and grace and wondrous mercy has granted us this salvation. Now this is the entire meaning of this term grace. And some people told me about the acrostic, you know the acrostic, grace, G-R-A-C-E. I'm not trying to work it out in my life. Grace, G, God's riches at Christ's expense. You know that one? God's riches at Christ's expense. I think it's good. My favourite one is, grace is the love of God. Spontaneous. Beautiful. Think of that. It's Beautiful. And earned at work in Christ for the salvation of sinners. Paul could say, my grace is sufficient for you. And in the words of John Newton, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.